0: Today we are in 1 John 2, verse 18, and this passage shows us that there are two things true, that there are antichrists throughout church history, and that there is an antichrist yet to come, and we're going to unpack that idea today, and we need to understand what God is telling us through the Apostle John, so that we can be vigilant, so that we can understand, and we can remain solid in our understanding of Christ and the gospel. I'm reading the passage here. Children, it is the last hour. Just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared From this we know that it is the last hour. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for speaking to us through your word. May we listen, may we believe, and may we take the appropriate action by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here in this verse, we have another chiasm. This is a very common way that the biblical writers wrote, both in the Old and New Testament. And it helps us to see, to understand, and give emphasis to what they are emphasizing. The first line, this is the last hour. Then Antichrist is coming. Many Antichrists have come. And then back to the first statement, this is the last hour. This serves to focus our attention on the center points. False teachers who are false anointed ones who oppose Christ by being substitute Christ. I'll be explaining that today. They claim to be specially anointed above anybody else in the church, and their claim to be anointed ones See, the word Christos means the anointed one, it is a way they substitute themselves and therefore oppose the true Christ. Jesus predicted in Matthew 24 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. SO WE SEE IT'S THE LAST HOUR, AND THIS LAST HOUR, AS I'LL SHOW YOU, GOES THROUGHOUT CHURCH HISTORY. SO THAT'S WHAT IT SAYS HERE IN THE FIRST PART OF THIS VERSE. CHILDREN, IT'S THE LAST HOUR. Slightly DIFFERENT WORD IN THE GREEK FROM A LITTLE BIT EARLIER IN 1 JOHN 2, BUT it's STILL JOHN, THE ELDERLY APOSTLE, addressing the church. He's doing so in a loving way, using terms of endearment. John loves the church. He cares about the well-being of the church. You need to remember that John was an apostle of Jesus Christ, chosen by Jesus, who saw his miracles, who was an eyewitness to the fact of the resurrection having seen the resurrected Christ who was appointed by Christ and as an apostle wrote scripture John wrote binding, inerrant authoritative scripture under the anointing of the Holy Spirit so the Bible that we have was given by ones appointed by Christ and his apostles who spoke inherent authoritative words. So we need to pay attention to that and realize John's relationship to this church. The word last is eschatos in the Greek where we get our word eschatology for the study of the last days. Now it says it is the last hour. I want you to understand this is very important. The last hour begins technically at Pentecost, although there is some way that it's true during Christ's life. It goes all the way through the church age. In fact, one of the sources I have says that the last hour ends at the rapture, and then we go into the last day. The term hour here is not a quantitative term. It's a qualitative term. Let me say that again. It's not a quantitative term. It doesn't tell us how long the church age goes. It tells us what it is like. This is the time of messianic salvation. This is the hour in which there is a battle for the souls of people. This is an hour in which many false prophets and deceivers have gone into the world, and their target generally is the church itself. And we need to know the difference. We need to know the true gospel, the true teachings of Jesus Christ, the true word of God, and we need to be able to distinguish between that and the teaching of the Antichrist. So, if you want to turn with me, go to John 6, 39, and we'll read verses 39 and 40. This is Jesus. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So I want you to see the importance of this terminology. The last hour we are living in now. It is the last hour. The last day is the end of the age when the resurrection happens. Now, if you were in Sunday school, you got a little head start on this sermon. In Sunday school, we are talking about complex events. Okay? Sometimes something is stated as an event that actually happens in stages. But looking forward, we see it as an event. Or... As I said, I shared a little, too. Eric had a great Sunday school. But when we look back, we use a statement that describes a complex event. For example, Christ died for sins. That's one statement. It doesn't mean that there's no complexity to it. As I mentioned, we have the suffering of Christ. We have him being whipped and beaten, carrying the cross, slowly dying a torturous death, being cursed by being hung on a tree because he's bearing the curse for us, him being buried, him being literally raised from the dead bodily, Jesus appearing to many witnesses and teaching them, and so on. So when Peter says Christ died for sins, All of that's true, but it's a complex event. So the last day or the last days are describing the end of history when there will be judgment and a resurrection and so forth. But we know it to be a complex event. So in John's gospel, the last day is associated with resurrection and judgment. And maybe you want to listen to the audio of the Sunday school. If you weren't there, we were talking about that. It doesn't mean it all happens in one moment. There's a complexity to how that unfolds in history. Now, after Jesus' resurrection, he said some things to his disciples. You might want to turn to this. Acts 1, 6 through 8. And we find out what's going to happen during the last hour. Acts 1, 6 through 8. Now, they're with the resurrected Christ. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answered, No, the church is Israel, and that's the end of it. Oh, no, no, he didn't say that, did he? Let me get back to the real reading. And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Times and epochs are for a certain event, yet future. That's the last day, or the last days. But now is the last hour, Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So, beginning at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we enter the time in which God is saving people from all nations and adding them to the church. And church history will go on. The time and epoch about the restoration of Israel, and things like that, that were promised, is yet future. So keep that in mind. Now, I want to look back at John to give a little more full picture of this last hour in which there are antichrists in the world. Turn with me, and you can look at it here, John 5, 25. Very, very important. We want to know how John uses hour. What is the hour? What is this last hour that we're in, the last days Terminology is used by other writers. He says in John 5, 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Let me tell you something very important about the hour that we are in. I'll get to antichrists in a moment. But first I want to talk about the gospel. What is true about this time that Jesus mentions coming and now is? He uses that elsewhere in John. We know from the context that the dead who hear the voice of the Son of God are people alive on the earth who are spiritually dead. And when we hear the voice of the Son of God and believe him as the object of our faith and believe the gospel, at that moment, for everyone that this is true about, a dead person comes to life. Those who hear will live. That's what goes on. The same terminology is found in John 4:23. chapter before this, about the woman at the well who is asking, should we worship at Jerusalem like you Jews say, or Mount Gerizim as us Samaritans say? What's the right answer? Of course, whatever he says, somebody's going to be mad because they battle over this. Here's the answer. But an hour is coming. Remember, we're talking about John's use of the last hour. The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So during the last hour, the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and come to life. And coming to life spiritually, they become true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth, whether they're Samaritans, mentioned in Acts 1 8, or Jews, or people in the remotest part of the world, wherever they may be, throughout this entire hour in which we live. Now, this is such an amazing thing. See, just a little bit later in John 5:28, he talks about the physically dead. That's a different issue. Let me read to you John 10 and verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep hear his voice. So how is it that the dead hear the voice of Christ and come to life? This happens through the preaching of the universal call of the gospel. In fact, I'm going to do something a little different. Normally we leave the universal call to the applications. I'm going to do it right now because this is so important. We are living in the last hour. We are living in the era in which there are many antichrists vying for our belief, trying to deceive us, trying to keep us from Christ, but we're also living in the era when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and live and you come out and follow him because you're one of his sheep how do we know who those people are we don't until we keep preaching the universal call and when they hear they will be excited to follow Christ we were talking at a little family get together the other evening about things that happened and when my brother Wayne and I were kids and things on the farm. And then the night before that, we were fellowshipping, talking about such things. And one of the things that came up, we sent a picture to a few people that we have of this coffee house that we had in Sheldon, Iowa. And we were there in that coffee house telling people about Christ. This was 1972. So how do you know who will hear the voice of the Son of God. Diane and I went out onto the streets. We were just in our early 20s. We had invitations for people to come to the coffeehouse. We went to this corner where a bunch of teenagers were loitering while they were hanging out. And they started mocking us, making fun of us, ridiculing us. They started singing Rock of Ages in a mocking tone. One of the teenagers was my brother Wayne. And Wayne looked at Diane and I, looked at his buddies, looked at us, looked at his buddies, and we said, well, if anybody wants tracks, we're right over here in this under the corner drugstore, and we'll talk to you about Christ. So we just walked away. Wayne got up, followed us down there. And he came to Christ. Why did Wayne respond like that? Was it just because brother, he was my brother? No. I hadn't treated him all that nicely, right, Mom? <laughs> she said, no, he didn't. I was, a, before I got saved, I was kind of a bully and not a good brother. I wouldn't have gotten him to go anywhere. But God had changed me, and God changed him. And Wayne came down there and became one of us rather than one of the mockers across the street. How do we know that's going to happen? Well, we know it will, but we just don't know who. It could have been one of those other kids. It could have been none of them. It could have been a couple of them. Diane's brother came to the Lord in a similar circumstance when his friends were mocking a gospel preacher, and he didn't think it was right. And he came and he her brother came to the Lord. See, I thank God for our evangelists and, and for all of you. Go out and just share the universal call. Tell people about Christ. We don't know who's going to hear. But when you hear, and this is a work of the Holy Spirit, we call it the internal call. When we tell people who Christ is, like John one, one through three in First John 1, one through three, who is fully human and fully God, who is the creator, the preexistent one who existed with the attributes of God as God and with God from all eternity, and everything the Bible says about him, his miracles, his sinless life, his death for sins, his resurrection, conquering the grave, his sending forth of his holy Spirit and giving us the gospel. All of these things are true. If you're hearing me today, whether here or on the Internet or on cable TV, I'm telling you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe today you hear his voice. I know you're hearing my voice. That's the universal call if I got it right but you might be the one who hears his voice. Repent and believe the gospel. Get up out of the dead and follow Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. Now, there are a lot of people who think they're sheep. Oh well, yeah, I go to church and I believe this and that, and whatever it says in the back of the hymnal, that's me. Believe all that, whatever it is. But as soon as you hear someone saying, you must be born again, you get angry and want to shut their voice up and refuse to listen to it. You know what that shows? You're not one of his sheep. You can't tolerate the truth about Christ. Maybe today you're one who's been in church all your life, but when preachers tell you that you need to repent and believe the gospel and follow Jesus Christ, the Lord of Glory, who's coming again, you just get angry and start mocking the messenger like those kids over in our hometown. But today, I pray that you hear his voice and come to Christ. May God make that true of you today. Let's go to the topic of the Antichrist. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming. Now, according to John, the apostle of Jesus Christ, even in that particular day when he wrote this, the church had been taught that there is an Antichrist who is literally coming. Antichrist is coming. You heard about it. right away, there's something we know. The doctrine that in the future there will be a literal Antichrist was not dreamed up in the 20th century by some dispensationalists. Well, I've been told that. Oh, yeah. Well, you're just kind of a dummy who has to follow these Popularizers and dispensationalists. Otherwise, you wouldn't believe there's a literal Antichrist. Some creeds say the Pope is the Antichrist. Well, he may be an Antichrist. Luther said that because he set himself in the church as the special anointed one, but the Antichrist hasn't come. And there is a literal one. And even John said that. He is coming. Is a different word than appeared, those who showed up already in history. Now, we've got to look at this term anti to determine what John's talking about. When we say antichrist, you have the conjunction of anti and Christ. Christ means anointed. To anoint is kreo. Hakristos is the Christ, the anointed one. And we'll see this as we get further into 1 John 2. There are anointed ones claiming special privilege, claiming special revelation, special knowledge, who would want to lord it over the rest of the flock. We're the anointed ones. You're the dummies. You just don't get it. So they're claiming special anointing. Now... Auntie means either against or in place of. And that's debated by scholars. What does it mean in this context? I'll tell you what I've believed for many, many years, and I'm going to defend that idea right now. That, in a sense, both of those things are true here. They claim to be anointed ones. We can tell that from the context that comes up soon. But by making themselves anointed ones, they are in effect opposed to Christ, who's the true anointed one. See, they're wrong. And so they're opposing Christ by putting themselves in his place falsely. Now, I wrote an article about this. We have some out there on the table called Antichrist's and the antichrist now when i wrote that i was trying to help people who were claiming to have special anointings and my claim was that all christians are anointed only christ is specially anointed so don't call yourself i'm the great anointed man of god because you just made yourself an antichrist oh don't you think they're out there I get emails from one of them. Oh, yeah. I get this email. Come to hear the great anointed teacher, and we're going to have a miracle service. I'm going to do great signs and wonders to prove that I'm the great anointed one. The guy's telling us he's an antichrist. Don't go to the meeting, don't give him your money, don't believe their claims. So there is a literal Antichrist that he's talking about, and it's not just a principle or a demeanor. There's a literal beast described in Revelation, and Eric was explaining that to us in Sunday school, I believe, last week. So John did not believe the Antichrist was on the scene of history. He's coming future. Many Antichrists have appeared. So Antichrist is coming, Antichrists have appeared or come to be. So the anointed one is Christ, Creo is to anoint. Now let me give you a little preview in 1 John 2:27, This is in the same context. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, it is true and is not a lie. and just has been taught you, abide in him. So he says to the entire church, the anointing which you received abides in you. It's every one of us who's a believer in Jesus Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit. We've heard his voice, we've come to life, and we're anointed. If you want to look at Hebrews 1, 8 and 9, we'll fill this out a little bit for you. But of the Son, he says, Hebrews 1, 8, your throne Oh God, stop right there. What is the son called? Oh God. Here's the deity of Christ. Your son, oh God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, notice the Son, and who is O God, and then God, your God, see the persons of the Trinity, has anointed you, who the Son, with the oil of gladness above your companions. Scripture is being quoted. Jesus Christ, ha Christos, the Christ, is the anointed one. Alone. He's the only Christ. The brethren have an anointing from the Holy One, according to 1 John 2. So there is no person who legitimately is holding meetings or sending out emails or writing books or being somebody over a church who is the special anointed one. I've written about this and identified people making that claim, and they get angry. And they say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I've got the anointing. So what makes you above the rest of us? Only because you're claiming to be Christ. You're an antichrist. Dear saints, we've got to identify these so we don't listen to them. They'll harm us. So there is a future antichrist, and these antichrists, what is true about them is they always have a false doctrine of Christ. Always. So in the late 80s, I hosted a pastor's meeting to talk to pastors about these things. And some of them, we were very upset with what I was saying. And I was telling them, you need to understand the doctrine of Christ. Well, some of them said, doctrine will make you dry up. You'll just be a dry, dusty, boring Christian if you worry about doctrine. I think some people hear the word doctrine and they go, oh, Yuck. Who wants that? Well, they don't understand. The term doctrine means teaching. didaskalos, teaching. And so you have a teaching of Christ even if you say you don't want any doctrine. Now, why do we need to know the doctrine of Christ? Because we don't want to be antichrist, and we don't want to be deceived by them They're in the world. John 1, 1 one two, one three tells us the pre existent Lagos, who is the Christ, the Son, is the one who created all things, who's the one who is with the Father, and who came into the world and was born of a virgin, as I said. We need to know the hypostatic union, how Jesus Christ is fully human and fully God. We need to know these things, because otherwise there'll be heresy. There are so many heresies, and not long after John wrote, some of these heresies were troubling the church. Arians said that there was a time when he is not. Jesus was a created being. Other heretics say, well, the deity came on Jesus when he was baptized. Now we've got heresy today that says jesus christ when he was on the earth was a mere man and not god now i'll talk about this when i get back from canada eric and i are going to be preaching in canada i've already written the sermon so i can be thinking about canada when i go there but the, the next sermon i've written an article about that too There's a guy, very popular, read many books, has many followers, claims to be a Christian pastor who claims that Jesus on the earth was not God. What? What? He's an antichrist, and he claims to be anointed. He's an antichrist. His doctrine of Christ is wrong. Why do I say that? Because deity does not come and go. It's not acquired. It's not lost. Guess what? The Mormons are wrong. God wasn't a man who became a God. Now, God exists. The attributes of God, omniscience, omnipotence, and so forth, are eternally God's. He is. He who comes to me must believe that he is, or I am. He is the great I am. And so we have popular teachers who are on our Christian TV channels saying Jesus lost his divinity when he died on the cross and had to fight to get it back. Well, their doctrine of deity is false. He is eternal existence as God. That's the true doctrine. And so they say, you don't want to have doctrine. Everybody will get bored. No, everybody will get saved. If they listen, we need to know. I know sometimes we have recitation of creeds in church, and a lot of times the creeds are true. But I've run into a lot of people who just think that's part of the liturgy, Do you believe what the creed says, if it's an accurate one? Otherwise, you have a false doctrine of Christ. And from this we know, John says, that it is the last hour. So throughout the church age, the one we're living in, the age of messianic salvation for those who believe, always false Christ. Always false doctrines of Christ. And this is what John is warning about. In 1 John, the heretics denied the incarnation. Docetists, Jesus only seemed to have a body. He wasn't really man. Arians, who rose a little bit later, denied the deity of Christ. He's a created being. These battles go on and on and on. And every generation has to be ready to rise up and fight the battle. People aren't going to hear the voice of the Son of God by us preaching a false Christ. They're not going to hear the voice of the Son of God by some charismatic pastor saying, I am anointed. You better come to my meeting. I am anointed. Well, great. So am I. All Christians are. It is utterly crucial that the church is taught the biblical doctrine of Christ, and that this doctrine be continually emphasized. We're Christians. Why wouldn't we want to know about Christ? Why, do we, why don't we want to know more about the Lord of glory? Someone asked me years ago, How is it that when you preach the gospel, you always say Jesus who existed as God and with God, who created the world out of nothing, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who suffered, who died, who was raised on the third day. Why do you say that? Because I want them to know which Christ I'm talking about. Because there's a lot of them out in the world. The Mormon Christ is different. The Christ of Islam is different. Buddhists have a different Christ. Some have the Christ consciousness or the Christ spirit and so on and so forth. And somebody finally said, well, instead of having a recitation of a creed, you just preach it when you preach the gospel. Yes, because I think we take it more seriously if it's preached to us. It's the same content. So these antichrists, they're very persistent. They will keep opposing the church in its message. They're opposed to Christ. And whatever God said will come true. Look at Jude 1 and verse 4. Jude 1 and verse 4. There's only one chapter in Jude. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There's a denial of the uniqueness of Christ. If Christ is just one of the anointed, I remember telling a pastor about this in the 80s when I began to realize how crucial this was. And I remember where I was standing when I said it to him. Well, Christ is unique, and His miracles proved His deity. And his pastor said, "Oh no, He did His miracles as just an ordinary believer. Because if it was any other way, it wouldn't be fair. Fair? Well, see, he what he was saying." is that we have a contest going on about who can do the most miracles. And we prove that we're really Christians if we can do miracles. And if Jesus was God during the incarnation, then he had an unfair advantage. No! A pastor's telling me this. No, 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 no. The miracles prove his deity. And if God does miracles, which he can still do, it's only to affirm the preaching of who Christ is, not to prove that we won the contest, the miracle-working contest. So these things are out there, and we need to be aware of the false teachings. Now, three points here of implication and application. The length of the last hour... It's part of God's secret counsel, which is not revealed. Number two, there's no gradual Christi- Christianization of the world, but perpetual making of disciples. I'm, I know I'm a little short on time on that one. I may refer you to an article we wrote. We must be vigilant against last day's deception. Now, let's just consider the length of the last hour, okay? 2 Peter 3 9 and 10. One of the reasons history has gone on as long as it has is God is a patient and merciful God. The Lord is not slow, it says in 2 Peter 3 9, about his promise, that is the promise of his return, has some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish. But for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, remember that's the last days, that's the day when judgment comes. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned out. So, how long is the last hour? However long God determines it to be. Then comes the end of history, albeit through a complex event. So we don't know. Today is the day of salvation. I wouldn't wait around if I were unconverted to see when it's going to be. Don't wait, come to Christ, believe in Him. Only God knows the time part of his secret counsel. It's not revealed. We can't predict it. I don't believe we can predict the time when Christ returns. Exactly. We don't know. We are in the last hour. There are many antichrists. The battle goes on. So Christ will come suddenly, unexpectedly. Now let's talk about what happens during this time. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I want to introduce this and I'll tell you about an article if you want to read it. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So during this time until the end of the age, there is this, what we call the Great Commission. Making disciples were commanded to do that. Teaching, baptizing them, and this is to go all over the world. Make disciples is imperative in the Greek. The nations here are in the Greek ethne, where we get our word ethnic. These are not geopolitical entities. See, there's a huge error that came into church history that many hold to this day. And what they think is we're commanded to take charge of the governments of the world and have Christians sit in all the places of power and force everyone to act like Christians even when they're not saved. And this is getting worse all the time. Our daughter, who manages the CIC for us, said, You need to talk about this, because now with an election, here we go again. The Christians need to take over and run everything. Well, throughout history, when Christians have tried to do that, things got worse. People are full of pride and power. They start killing and maiming in the name of Christ, The church is the called out ones. And so we're not going to force people against their will to obey whatever we think they ought to do. We're not going to create the kingdom now by Christianizing the world. Now, there are whole movements that believe this. So when I was in seminary, I asked one of my teachers for permission to write extensively on this topic. There's a movement called Christian Reconstruction. And they're saying that here we have the dominion mandate for the church to rule over the world. Now, I took all of their proof texts, read their best scholars, and wrote a scholarly paper refuting every one of their claims. Now, that's somewhere on our website. It was under scholarly, okay? Just look up in the search box, reconstruction, and you'll find it, okay? People are baptized, not geopolitical entities. Do you go to Germany and baptize the nation? No, you baptize disciples who believe the gospel. We're called out. I'm not saying we're not salt and light. We are. I'm not saying we shouldn't influence the world we live in. We do. But we need to call people out of it. When the church becomes a political organization demanding everybody submit to us, we don't help. I have a statement here. This is one that I made. In my notes, the church having political power has generally corrupted the church rather than sanctified the world. Look at Rome. Look at the Holy Roman Empire. What did we have? Not a sanctified world, a corrupted church. That's what some people want for America, a corrupted church running everything. Disciples are persons who are baptized and taught, not nations who are subjugated. I hope I made my point. We have an election year, and all this stuff will come back. You know, we're going to force all these people to obey us, and we'll be the nation. This one guy, Finney, said that if we worked harder, and we had been working harder, we would have had the millennium in America. Well, that was a long time ago, and I haven't seen a millennium, have you? One more here. My last point. We must be vigilant. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and imposters... WILL PROCEED FROM BAD TO WORSE, DECEIVING AND BEING DECEIVED. YOU, HOWEVER, CONTINUE IN THE THINGS YOU HAVE LEARNED AND BECOME CONVINCED OF, KNOWING FROM WHOM YOU HAVE LEARNED THEM. THAT IS FROM PAUL OR THE OTHER APOSTLES. THE APOSTOLIC DOCTRINE IS GIVEN BY CHRIST AND HIS APOSTLES. WE KNOW WHAT WE'VE LEARNED from Christ and his apostles. And if we desire to live a godly way in this present world, resisting the antichrists and worshiping the Christ and loving the Lord with all our hearts and preaching the gospel to every creature, we will be going against the grain. It's going to be a lot of difficulties. People are going to think we're crazy. And that's, that's where even in politics. I just heard one where a guy is going to be running for, for vice president, and they came out and they said, eh, and I'm not, it's up to you who you vote for. But I, it's interesting what they said. This is an evil man. This is a wicked, evil man. Why is he wicked and evil? Because he believes... And the sanctity of human life, and that marriage is between a man and a woman, evil <laughs> okay, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted i 'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about truth. human life is there is holiness to because all humans are created in the image of God. That's why we mean the sanctity of life. God created them male and female. That's a Christian worldview. If you say anything different, you're going to be called evil. The world says everybody can do anything they want without restraint, and we need to say, as we pray to God, Lord Jesus, come quickly, and dear God, help us to be salt and light because there are people out there who will hear the voice of the Son of God and come to life. And when you come to life, you'll know that we need to preserve life because humans are created in the image of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for warning us about the antichrist thank you lord that we heard your voice and came to life may we understand our role in this last hour help us to be bold in our gospel preaching and clear in our thinking and to persevere in the faith until you come for us thank you lord And we give you the glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen.